on this episode of the Liberty Corner podcast. One of the things that I found in, in the military and any big organization is the politicking is real. We call it playing the game. If you can't play the game, you're not going to go very far. And that's something that happened to me. 30 cents of every taxpayer dollar goes to fund the military. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. You can't just go down to the local hardware store and buy a nut or a bolt and put it on a submarine, right? There's all this other stuff. However, the, the bolt at the hardware store is not fundamentally different than the one that you buy from a DOD contractor, but yet you're paying 30 times more because it went through supposed testing. So maybe just tell me a little bit about your background. What was the reason you went to the military, right? That you joined the military and why, what made, made you go on a submarine? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually joined the military because... I didn't know what else I wanted to do in life. And um, in, during high school, I'd actually wanted to play baseball for the Dodgers. Unfortunately, when I was 16 years old, I ended up injuring my shoulder at a baseball tournament. We had nine games in three days and we were playing in the middle of winter in Colorado because the tournament was in Australia. And so just, you know, youth and naive, naivety, I ended up not warming my arm up properly and ended up injuring myself. So I was no longer able to pitch or really throw the ball um, through baseball and then football. I ended up dislocating my shoulder a couple of times and that was the end of my sports career. So I just knew that I didn't want to go into debt. I had no idea what I wanted to do as far as life went and college just sounded like a really bad idea considering people change their majors and their ideas so many different times. It just seemed like a waste of money to me. So um one guy came into the, the school one day when I was a junior in high school and told me that, you know, if I pass these tests, I can make a lot of money and I could wear a really great uniform that all the girls would love and travel the world and the Navy would pay for all of it. And they'd pay for college once I figured out what I wanted to do. I said, sign me up. Sounds great. Um, <clears throat> so that was really that was really all it was. It wasn't like this lifelong passion to be in the military. I have yeah. three grandfathers that all fought during World War Two and. There is military lineage in my in my family, so it wasn't a big leap for me to do that. But it wasn't one of those things that I was just like gung ho, couldn't wait to do it. It just happened yeah. to be the the best solution at the time for my predicament. Did you end up going to college after all, or did you skip? So I actually, while I was in the Navy, you can do distance learning exams and things like that, and you get some credit for going through the courses. So I went through the nuclear power training program, which meant that I learned how to operate a nuclear power plant. I was, you know, spending 80 hours a week or more in classrooms, learning how to, you know, split atoms and how metal worked and uh, attenuation of, of neutrons and things like that. So we spent a lot of time getting very well educated in the process of nuclear power. And I was able to take that and apply that to uh, some college courses, I ended up having to take basic general education courses, um, but I, grad I got my, my engineering degree. It was a Bachelor of Science, Science in Nuclear Engineering Technology from Thomas Edison University without ever going. Uh, I've never even stepped on uh, Thomas Edison State College's campus. So I was able to test out of most of my classes and then I did some distance learning. So you know, teaching yourself calculus too when you only have a, a textbook is not exactly the most fun thing to do, but that's what we did. So by the time I'd gotten out of the Navy, um, it took me two or three more months and I was able to get my bachelor's uh, without ever stepping foot onto that campus. And then I ended up going in and getting my master's in business a few years later using the GI Bill. Yeah. And if you had to do it again, um, would you also go to the military? Do you think it was the right step for you or would you go yeah, a completely different I have, path? I have no regrets yeah. about going in. I think it was great. I think that the program I went through and everything was great. Um, obviously, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have changed a couple little things here and there. But, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know if you're a big believer in fate and, and people say that there's all this pre design plans for us. I don't believe that there's a pre-designed plan, but I do know that all the things that have led up to where I am today, mm -hmm. they essentially had to go that way in order for it to happen. I don't know, maybe, maybe it would have been one of those weird things. If something had changed in my life, I still would have ended up where I am today, but I'm, I'm happy with where I am today and the, my wife and my kids and the lifestyle I've had. So I have, I can't have any complaints or regrets about how I got here. Mm -hmm. 
would you re recommend for young people to consider going to the military? That's a very loaded question. Um, that really <laughs> depends a lot on, you know, the circumstances and honestly, geopolitical issues have, mm. you know, I, I was completely naive going in. I had no idea, you know, this was before uh, 9-11 and the, the world changed dramatically shortly after mm. I joined the military and it continues to change to this day. So the military has an organization. Yes, it's great from learning discipline and learning how to, you know, grow into a mature adult and take care of yourself because uh, people will say, oh, well, the military took care of you. And if, if you consider having to wake up at 5 a.m. and getting screamed at and having to go do workouts every single morning in the rain or the snow or whatever and getting screamed at every single time you mess something up, um, if you consider that being taken care of, I guess you could say you are. But you do get a paycheck. You do get, you know, food and shelter. So your basic needs are taken care of. But it's no, by no stretch of the imagination easy for anyone. So from yeah. a discipline perspective, yes. However, you know, especially here in the United States, right? We, we have this military industrial complex, which essentially means that we are spending massive amounts. Of, I think it's something like 30 cents of every taxpayer dollar goes to fund know, the military. It's, yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, and, and so from that perspective, yeah, the, there's a, a real issue with, well, if we have all this, we might as well use it, right? And not to get too political too quickly into this conversation, but there are false flags ha operations happening all over the world. There are, our eyes have been open to the things that have happened historically that continue to happen to this day that are having major impacts on, um, you know, various politics around the world. You know, we're seeing all these things happening in mm. the Gaza Strip and with Palestine and, and Israel right now, and it's becoming a very polarizing topic for so many people. And what most people seem to forget is that there is a major cost of war. And it's, I'm not talking just the economic cost of what it takes to deploy troops or send tanks over somewhere or fly the jets. There's the toll on, you know, the, the societies themselves. You know, the Gaza Strip is one of the most densely populated places in the world. And here we are just blowing it to bits and pieces. And, you know, it's not necessarily the U.S., but in a roundabout way, the U.S.'s military dollars and equipment has led to this. Right. And so it's it's a very loaded question in the sense that, you know, do I believe in every country being patriotic? Absolutely. You're originally from Germany. Right. Um, yeah. You know, Germany obviously has a very sordid history when it comes to military and politics and people in power. And Germany's come through with, I would say, relatively flying colors in, in some ways because the country as a whole has acknowledged the, the atrocities and the things that have happened. But yet those same well, things are happening. Yeah. yeah, it's still challenging and it's still it's happening still around the world. And mm. it's still happening around the world. And so there's a point where we are, we should be very proud of where we're from, especially, you know, here in the United States. Everybody says the greatest country in the world. I'm going to say that that's up for the debate, depending on how you look at it. And what I always like to say is I love my country, but I, I fear my government. I don't trust my government. Yeah. And I think that's true of most places. I think that people, I love the people in this country and, you know, the, the, the brothers and sisters I went to war with and in the military love them. Um, but I do, I don't trust our government and I don't trust any government really. And since the government yeah. is in control of the military, that's where it gets to be a really sticking point, right? It's, it's a yeah. little bit scary when you think about it that way. Yeah. So we have, obviously, you just mentioned it a, a little bit. We touched on it. We have a lot of tensions uh, around the world right now. And uh, because of that, a lot of countries are debating uh, if they should um, reintroduce uh, the draft. So the draft is um, mm -hmm. basically mandatory military basic service uh, for citizens. And here in Germany, we used to have that until 2011. Now, slowly, um, you can hear um, debates popping up. Maybe we should uh, rethink um, introducing that again. Um, what's your position on that? Because I, I can understand or I think um, maybe for society, it's especially for, especially for young people, not a bad idea to 
have a year of service as a military where you learn a lot of discipline. But obviously, uh, like you just said, myself, uh, I don't trust the government either. And um, I avoid that it's easier once you have basic military training that you get shipped off to a war that you might not want to fight. So what's your position on that? Yeah, that's again, that's where it gets it's very murky, right? Um, I would say that every single person coming out of high school should take one, if not two years as a gap year or, or two, and they shouldn't go straight into college. They should go straight into some sort of service, whether that's civil service, right? We have the Peace Corps here. Um, people that are religious go can go on a mission around the world, but do something that takes you away from your hometown. Do something that takes you out of your own country, honestly, and go and do be of service to other people that you don't know. Um, and I think the military is one of those avenues that's great for that, you know, especially the the kids who grow up in broken homes or didn't have a lot of discipline growing up or ended up, you know, getting involved in gangs or whatever. I think everybody should be required to give some sort of service back to their country. I think that that promotes a certain level of patriotism. I think that it opens your eyes to the way people live around the world. I will tell you that I've traveled around the world and I'm always thankful to be here in the U.S., but I still question the things that we do in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think from that perspective, somebody should join something that is bigger than themselves. Again, though, especially having seen what I've seen and knowing what I know, and being able to witness things unfold. And, you know, I'll, I'll dive deep right into it. At the very beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. there were a few of us. I got censored immediately on yeah. all the platforms, literally shut down. They took my accounts away. I had to stop posting everything. It took two years for me to be able to get back online for certain things. Um, and I was running mm-hmm. millions of dollars of ads uh, on some of these platforms, too. Mm-hmm. And when we saw what was happening with COVID because I knew enough about how governments work. We could literally see the entire game plan kind of playing out long before Mm -hmm. it ever happened. And and almost to this day, we're seeing exactly what we expected to happen. And these are the things that, that scare me because it's not the, again, it's not the military. The, in the military, you are trained to follow orders. I was Mm -hmm. a little bit unique. I was a submariner and I was a nuclear power plant operator. We are trained to follow orders Sort of. We are trained to use our heads first and to think through the ramifications, right? Um, I'd say special force, anyone with a gun in their hand can't just blindly follow orders either, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody says fire, but your buddy's right in front of you, you don't just fire, right? You have to think through that. Same thing with operating a submarine, operating a nuclear power plant, operating any really expensive, dangerous equipment. Just because somebody's giving you an order does not mean you blindly follow the orders. And I think there's this, misperception or or, um, misplaced idea that people who go into the military are just automatons and told what to do and they only follow orders and that's all they do. That's Mm -hmm. not entirely true. You have to know how to think before you just follow the order. Yes, you want to follow the order because you want the person who's giving you the order to know what they're doing. But believe it or not, sometimes the officer who's in charge has the least amount of experience, right? And so the chiefs and the LPOs and, you know, the division leaders and then the the boots on the ground folks have a lot more operating experience. And so as a result, they take the order and then they have to apply that and make sure that they're using common sense and experience and training before they execute. And Mm -hmm. as a result, you can't just think that the military just blindly follows orders. Now, with that being said, these people are taking their orders on how to operate a piece of equipment, how to disassemble a gun, how to maintain a tank, you know, things like that. But what we're not being told is the big picture of why are we even in this war in the first place? And so that's where it gets, you know, again, from the the standpoint of somebody going into the military to learn discipline, to learn how to operate in a team, to learn how to be a leader, to learn how to do all the military is fundamentally amazing. I think any military in the world will really help groom leaders in a way that most people couldn't even possibly imagine. However, they I are think, still an arm of the government that can, you know, perform amazing and miraculous things or incredible atrocities against humankind. 
because of the people that are in charge. And so for me, it's a, you know, I was in the military and I'm very patriotic and you can see the stuff behind me. I'm very proud of my service, but I'm also, like I said, I fear the government. I fear what they would do with the military given complete control. Hmm. Did your military service, um, was that the reason or, or did that change your opinion and your v views on government and um, the military industrial complex? Is it because you had that insight uh, view or was it something you developed um, on the side? Both. Um, right. in, in the military, you have to go through all these special channels to buy products or buy equipment or buy tools. You can't just go down to the local hardware store and buy a nut or a bolt and put it on a submarine, right? There's all this other stuff. However, the, the bolt at the hardware store is not fundamentally different than the one that you buy from a DOD contractor, but yet you're paying 30 times more because it went through supposed testing. Um, mm. You know, it's things like that where you see this, you're like, okay, this is just absolutely wasteful. There's a reason for it. And there's a reason it got, created, but it's still absolutely ridiculous how much waste there is. And so that opens your eyes to the way that they're spending money. And mm -hmm. when you start thinking about why are we spending so much money on this and what's the end result and what's the end goal in all of this, it does start to make you question things. However, what I'll say is that when you're in the military, you understand how things work, you get a certain sense for why we would do something. And then when you get out, like I'll, I'll give you a really good example of when my mind really started to open up and shift is when the Twin Towers fell and all of a sudden we're in war with Afghanistan because we're saying that Afghanistan is hiding Osama bin Laden and Osama bin Laden is responsible for all of this. That was a narrative we could loosely follow and we could say, okay, if they have proven and they came right out and said, yes, we did this. Okay, wonderful. Then we can follow that narrative and say, okay, yeah. They're the bad guys. Let's go after the bad guys. But all of a sudden we found ourselves in Iraq and we mm. found ourselves in Iraq because of these supposed weapons of mass destruction that no one ever found. And that's the first time I heard about this term called a false flag operation. And we were poised with going after the bad guys. And now all of a sudden we're changing who the bad guy is simply because we were in the mode of going to war and all this. And by the way, we never declared war. So this idea of using the military to go to war is non-existent. We don't even declare war anymore. Um, we just start saying, okay, we're going to go after this guy and then we're going to go after this guy and then we're going to send money here and send tanks there and all that. It's just, it, it's, it's really befuddling when you start looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm in the service and I'm going out. Yes, I'm going to follow the orders. I'm going to go out there. This is what I signed up to do because I want to protect my country. But then all of a sudden you realize maybe what I'm doing is not necessarily protecting my country. And if you ever start having those questions out loud and thinking those thoughts out loud, they might be considered traitorous or treasonous, right? So you mm -hmm. don't and you hold those in, but then you start to wonder why are we doing this? And when it comes out years later, Oh yeah, there was actually nothing there. And this wasn't a great operation. We didn't do the right thing or people died as a result. Like how many millions of people have died as a result of the war on terror and we're not any closer to stopping terrorism than we were 20 years ago. So it's things like that that really start to make you question the motive of the government. Again, it's not the motive mm -hmm. of the military. I want to be very mm -hmm. clear on that is that I don't fault people in the military for doing what they do. Um, I, that'd be akin to saying that, you know, that the, the guy at the bottom rung of any company doing his job and all of a sudden the executives were embezzling money or the Enron scandal it's not the person who was opening and unlocking the doors and the security guard. It's not their fault that the people in charge screwed everything up. You always blame the, the leadership, the people in charge. And in this case, it's the government saying, we're going to go do this. And um, from, from that perspective, I learned a little bit of what to look for while I was in, but then you start seeing the news and you're hearing things you're like that doesn't make any sense on the outside. You start applying your thinking cap and you realize that some of the things that we're doing are more for uh, political gain and corporate gain than they are for real humanitarian and, and self-defense purposes. Why did you leave the military? Was it because you saw how politics and government um, has a bad influence or can do really destructive things with the military or was it a personal decision just simply to do something else? No, still a little bit of both, right? Um, one of the things that I found in, in the military and any big organization is that you, the politicking is real, right? 
we call it playing the game. If you can't play the game, if you can't, you know, butter up to the right people, if you're not really good at just making friends with people and going along and doing what you're told and, you know, just being that good little sailor, um, then you're not going to go very far. And that's something that happened to me, even though I was top of my class, first one to graduate, quote unquote, or get my get certifications or qualify. And I was working my butt off. I would routinely get passed over for opportunities, um, you know, and and all I can attribute that to is that I was not the favorite, even though I was what I would consider one of the best at what I did. Right. I literally wrote mm-hmm. the um, procedures for things that we did in the military that were brand new to our boat and no one in the fleet had. So I wrote the procedures. I reviewed hundreds of quality assurance documents. Um, one thing when so whenever a submarine gets this is a fun story for a lot of people, I think, is that whenever a submarine goes through what's called a depot modernization period, you, you do all these updates, you bring all the technology. So we brought our 1960s technology up to 1980s technology in the 2000s. <laughs> um, but we had, there's a hatch, right? So in inside of a submarine, there's a, a, what's called an escape trunk. So on the top of the boat, there's a hatch. That hatch opens up to the ocean. They close that. Inside, there's a one-person, maybe two-person big, what we call escape trunk, which is just a cylinder tube, you know, a little bit bigger than a person, and about seven feet tall, give or take. And then underneath that, there's another hatch and that hatch opens up to the crew in the compartment. So in the middle here is a watertight area where if the water starts leaking in from the ocean, we will know before it comes into the entire boat, right? There's indications and there's leak drains, things like that. So whenever that thing gets refinished and updated during a, a deep modernization period or an upgrade on the boat, Somebody has to go and make sure it doesn't leak. Well, the only way you pressure test a submarine is by taking it underwater. So we had to go down to what we call test depth, which is still classified, but several, several hundred feet down. And somebody has to stand in the middle of this thing and check for leaks. So the bottom one is closed to the crew below you, and the top one is closed to the ocean above you. And so I was the guy standing in the middle of there. And my job was to make sure as we're going deeper and deeper and deeper that this thing doesn't start leaking. And so you're putting your trust in all your fellow crew members and the people that worked on this, that they did a good job, because if it starts leaking or it just blows a gasket and everything starts coming in, you're you're drowning instantly. Right. You're not you're not surviving that one. Um, So you're putting your trust and your faith in your fellow crew members and personnel. And I was the guy that had to go in there. So as we're going deeper and deeper, I have my headphones on. I have my it's called a 2JV system. Um, It's the way you're communicating. And so sure enough, I'm, they're going down, okay, we're at 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, and they just keep going deeper and deeper. And I can see little drips coming in here and there. And it's okay. It's, you know, it's still satisfactory, still satisfactory and so on. And of course I'm here today, so it didn't fail, but it's things like that where, um, you know, I was chosen to do that job because of the fact that one, I helped write their procedure for it. I was also the quality assurance guy. And when you're the quality assurance guy, they say, well, you're the one that's signing off on all the paperwork. So guess what? You're the one that's going to stand there and have to put your your entire life behind your word, right, behind your name. So I did that. Well, that's all well and good. Again, I was great at doing my job, but I was not good at just following orders blindly. I was not good at just buttering up to people and being nice for the sake of being nice. And I got written up and I got in trouble for being insubordinate. I got in trouble for uh, being a dickhead sometimes. and it was really this, I'd say, cocky, arrogant attitude I had in my young 20s. Um, it's tempered somewhat now, but not entirely. And the idea is that, you know, I, I can't just blindly follow orders from somebody, especially if I see, think they're an idiot. So that kind of stuff happened over and over and over again. And sometimes um, we promote people to um, not necessarily their highest level of incompetence, but pretty close. Meaning if somebody can't do a job, like they were terrible at turning a wrench or they're terrible at operating uh, the reactor plant or something like that, you have one of two ways of avoiding them ever doing the job. One, they never qualify in the first place, which that's really hard to do because you just have to pass tests and you have to show certain competency. And then sometimes you only find out that they're terrible at doing the job after they've qualified to do the job. And so the next thing you can do is you can hire, you can promote them so they never do that job again. So you promote them beyond the point of actually doing the thing that they qualified for because you don't trust them to do that without hurting themselves, hurting other people or damaging equipment. And so you'll routinely promote people who are incompetent. And now those incompetent. 
they do this with politicians as well, right? Exactly, right? You promote them so that they're not doing the thing anymore to cause problems. And so now you're being, now the entire circus is being run by incompetent fools. And I, I have very little patience for that. So I would get routinely get in trouble. Um, so it was things like that that really made me not want to stay in. And more important, I, I was also in a relationship at the time and I was like, well, if I stay in, I'm not going to be in this relationship anymore. So, and I ended up marrying this woman. So it was, a, it was a choice, another personal matter as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if everything was going amazingly in the military, I probably would have stayed in because that was my goal. Once I got mm-hmm. in, I realized, man, I love this. This is great. But then I found yeah. out the politics and the personnel issues. That was not really fun for me. And then after your military service, um, you started your own business right away? or uh, I was just... trying to do side hustles while I was in mm-hmm. the military. So I was learning how to do all sorts of certain, certain things. Like the weirdest one was negotiating dumpster routes for big commercial businesses. I was terrible at that. I was terrible at negotiations back then. Um, I was a financial planner for a little while. I got my mortgage license. I got my life insurance license. I was investing in real estate. I was doing all these little things on the side. But when I got out, I actually got a job at an um, equipment and technology insurance company and became a risk manager eventually and ended up managing you know, over 25 people, had the entire the, the, the largest geographical area because I had from Wyoming north and all the way out to Alaska and Hawaii that I managed. So I was in insurance in, in a sense, but we were really in the engineering insurance realm. And that led into working with uh, technology companies and innovators and finding new technology and um, things that we could implement into our business that would also help with us with risk mitigation. It would help us with uh, reducing, you know, you, you mitigate risk, you reduce the risk or you eliminate risk. And so we found ways to do that for a lot of different things in the technology sector. And that led into these new technologies were run by startups. So, okay, well, in order for us to be able to get their product or their service or their software or whatever, they need to scale up. And so we would invest in them. We would partner with them or we would acquire them. So that led into the path of uh, working with startups. And I love technology and I love innovation and I love that that fast paced kind of world as opposed to just a standard operating business that just stays the same. I like the innovative aspect of business. And Mm -hmm. so I started working with them that led into raising capital. And eventually I got really good at the raising capital, developing use cases, helping companies develop pitch decks and all of that. And that led into me eventually leaving that company in 2018 and taking over angel investors network. And so I've been doing that ever since. And uh, I think we have a lot of, in our society, but also in the economy right now, I think a lot of uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I'm wondering what were some lessons and some skills you learned in your military service that you could apply um, in, in the business world? Is there anything that comes to mind for you? There's a whole book I wrote on it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, What's it called? This is All Hands on Deck. So this oh, is... Okay. All hands on deck, how U.S. Navy nice. submariners structure, systemize, and optimize for success. And, and um, yeah, there's so many lessons that you can take yeah. from the military. This is why I, I can't dismiss the military in any way when it comes to this, because the the characteristics that make you, make you successful in the military are the same ones that will make you successful in any career. Perseverance yeah. is the number one. Um, that is the absolute number one most important thing. And without grit and mental toughness, you can't have perseverance. So those are some of the things that are really important. Um, Angela Duckworth wrote a book on grit. It's a really great book about, you know, just being able to weather the, the storm mentally before you weather anything physically, because running a business is stressful. Managing people is stressful. Raising children is stressful. And the military teaches you how to handle stress in a way that I would say that no one else really can. Uh, the only thing that I could say would even come close to learning how to handle stress from a military perspective is maybe professional sports uh, mm-hmm. because you're working against these other really elite athletes and you're working in a crew together and you guys have to overcome whatever it is. And so sports would be, in my opinion, the second toughest thing, uh, the second 
thing in line to the military that would actually teach you some of these skill sets. But beyond that, you know, the, the basics of just being a good person and being willing to do what you say and say what you do and following through and setting plans, all of that stuff is vital. But nothing in the military is going to teach you how to run a business plan, right? It's not right. going to teach you how to figure out the balance sheet of the P&L or cash flow statements. And no one teaches you how to get a business license and make sure you have the right license for your business and paying tax. Like none of that stuff applies. But what what the military does a great job of is teaching how to rely on other people and teaching how to cultivate a team, a high performance team. And there's various different levels of the military, right? And I'm not going to poo-poo anybody in the military because they obviously signed an oath and uh, the documents just like I did. But I will say that there are certain um, classes of people in the military that are much higher trained and skilled than others. I would probably put special forces up there at the top of the heap because they have to operate in complete under complete duress with that, with so many unknown variables playing against them in incredibly high stress environments. And I'd say pilots are probably up there as well. You know, fighter pilots, people like that. Submariners were, were towards the top of that list, I would say, but maybe not the same level. Some of these other folks are. And so there's different, there's varying degrees of mental toughness that you will learn depending on what rate you go into in the military. But I'd say that mental toughness, that grit, that perseverance are going to be the most important things when it comes to running a business. Is there any strategy really to handle stress other than putting yourself over and over again in a stressful situation, just learning to handle it? Do you have any other strategy than that? Honestly, what you just said right there is so yeah. important for people that most people will never get out of their comfort zone. They just mm -hmm. don't want to. It's uncomfortable, right? It's the, the actual yeah. in the term. But the more that you can get uncomfortable, the easier it is to handle stress. And I'll give you a really good example. My son is 11 years old and he struggled for so long if things did not go perfectly as planned. You know, he's a little kid. Of course, he's not equipped yet to do this. And But you can witness this and you can watch people as they're growing. And so a lot of parents, myself included, will say, one of the greatest joys of being a parent is watching them grow, watching them turn into the person they're going to be. Because you can watch them uh, change from this timid, scared person or like my second born, just no fear at all and just going off the rails all the time. But you can watch them change. And so my my youngest, we used to drive up to his grandma's house pretty regularly. And one day I turned and I went a different way because there's traffic and he freaked out. He couldn't handle this. Right. And that he, he literally cried and cried and cried until we got back on a, a road that he recognized and that we were going to grandma's house. He did not want to not go to grandma's. He was terrified because he thought we were lying to them. And I he knew the way and I didn't. Right. And it was really funny for me because as a parent, especially at that time, he was only like two years old, three years old, maybe. Um, I'm looking, wow, that's pretty incredible that you know the way because we're talking like a 40 minute drive, not something that's just right around the corner. And the fact that he knew that was pretty cool. But then it gave me an insight into his brain, which is he needs things to be certain. And that's the way a lot of people are. They like that certainty. And this is why most people are not entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur means you are getting really good at dealing with uncertainty and all of the variables. Well, you can't go from that scared little kid of needing everything to be perfect all the time to all of a sudden trying to manage and run things when you have no idea what's coming tomorrow, let alone a year from now. Right. So mm -hmm. what I would say is that for most people, you have to start taking these little steps here and there to be uncomfortable and do something new, do something different. And as you do this, And we don't need to go into all the physiology, um, but I was a scuba diver and this is exactly what they do. Step by step, you get to a point of extreme duress. And so when you're a scuba diver, they put you in a pool and you have to swim laps. Then you have to swim these laps in a certain way. Then you have to swim those laps in a certain way and you have to swim those laps fast enough to, to you know, beat the, the timer. Right. Then you have to swim completely underwater all the way the length of the pool and you're not allowed to come up for a breath of air. Then we give you the equipment. Right. And then you go through all the testing. Well, it's little little pieces right you're just doing little steps towards that ultimate goal so that by the end of pool week when you're going to the bottom of the pool and they're ripping your tanks off and your mask and your fins and they're tying your regulator up and they're turning off your tank and now you have no source of air and you have nothing to do 
instead of you being completely freaked out, you've trained slowly for this moment and your brain can now process things. And most people, unfortunately, go from one extreme to the other. And this is why they can't handle it. This is why they mm -hmm. have panic attacks and anxiety. They are going so far from in a comfort zone to completely uncomfortable and out of their element that they can't handle it. Uh, a really simple example is college kids who go from being 18 years old and living with their parents their entire life and having no training about how to live alone, how to live with other people, be in a different culture, to all of a sudden one day moving out of the house, going to live with a whole bunch of other people, having almost no structure around anything. No one's telling you where to go or what to do or anything. And no one's going to tell you to come home at night. No one's taking care of your food. Like it's completely unstructured. And so for a lot of people, this is why they, they end up gaining weight. That's why they end up getting in trouble. This is why they end up doing things they shouldn't do. And, you know, some people just go completely off the rails and some people drop out of college altogether, racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt without anything to show for it because they went from one extreme to another. And that's just a really simple example. And it doesn't seem like that's a stress situation for people, but it really is, right? Their coping mechanisms changed and, and unfortunately put them in a bad position. So what I would suggest to anybody, you know, again, we can talk about the physiology, but breathing through a situation is really important. Meditating, spending time alone, uh, reflecting on what you just went through is really important. And that you do that, of course, after the fact. But your breath work is is vitally important. And then the next thing that's just for me, it's kind of a, the way I live uh, is that other people have struggled through worse than I'm going through today. And the sun is mm -hmm. still going to come up tomorrow. So if other people have struggled through this stuff and, and worse, I can handle this. And I know tomorrow is another day. So between those two ideas, I can generally recenter myself and realize, okay, we'll get through this. Doesn't mean that I don't freak out every now and then get really upset and need to go for a, go to the gym or go for a run or go work out and get mad. It just means I can come back to where I need to be. Yeah, I agree so much with what you just said uh, about the little steps. I think what happens to a lot of people is that they, one day they wake up and they realize um, they have something to do. They are, Uh, so far behind their goals that they originally set for themselves and they get the shock and they all of a sudden want to act and they try to make this leap that you just described and go all in and do do the thing that they set as a goal right and right away without doing these little steps and then you're just overwhelmed with all all the stress and all the things at once and um I think it can't be understated how important it is to really uh, make one step and really be sure that you mastered this next step before you take the next one. And um, that helped me as well in uh, my freelance career, just not to storm ahead, even if I know I could maybe do a little better right now. I'm just spending a little more time on mastering what I'm doing right now and then taking the next tiny step and just advancing slowly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, also the thing about certainty that you talked about, I think um, um, when it comes to certainty, it's also, you, you can also decide where you take your certainty from. Um, you don't have to take your certainty from, I think a lot of people take their the degree that they get in college or their the title that they have as the certainty. And when that goes away or when that's not, um, not enough, then they feel uncertain. But I mean, I think you really have to take your whole personality and everything that you have and um, your, your, all your abilities as your basis of your certainty. And then you don't have to use some outside um, sources like, oh, I have a lot of money and that gives me certainty. Um, if you have like a, uh, built a stable, um, how do you say, character for yourself, then you don't have to rely on all these outside things for certainty. Yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. way of putting it for sure. So um, you already touched on it a little bit. You got a little bit in trouble with 
with big tech and censorship, you said you immediately got banned. Uh, do you want to talk a little more about that? Sure. Um, so my ex-wife is a chiropractor and I'd helped her with her education and uh, I, I enjoyed learning that stuff. So she was, of course, going through the classes, but I got to read the books and every now and then I'd quiz her on things. And so I and, and I also had my own health journey that I had to go through a long time ago that re made me realize that the pharmaceutical industry is really only concerned with one thing. It's not people's health, right? It's it's their own profits. And they will push pill after pill, injection, vaccine, whatever, simply to increase profits. It has nothing to do with public health or safety. And COVID is no exception. So when we saw what was happening, the very first, you know, this whole two weeks to flatten the curve, first and foremost, at that point, it was really early stages and everybody's freaking out. You're just hearing about everybody's going to die from COVID. And it was really easy to look around and say, no, that's not that's not happening. Right. This yeah. is the same thing that happens every single year where people get the flu or they get the cold. It's springtime. Nothing's going to come of this. It's not that it's not like Outbreak, the movie where people's skin is turning into boils and rashes and, you know, they're vomiting blood. It wasn't anything like that. Yet everybody believed it was. And when you know what to look for in the health, I'm not going to say healthcare world, but the sick care world, mm -hmm. you can start to see, okay, what is, what generally happens? Well, there's a fear that induces a panic. That panic is peddled by the media. The media increases the panic. And the more that they can do that, the higher the stock price goes for the pharmaceuticals. And you can watch this throughout any single public health scare ever, right? Um, and they would relate this back to the Spanish flu and they'd relate it back to SARS back in the early 2000s and, you know, on and on. And they're talking about how bad it's going to be. And it's nothing like that. Right. And so I came right out and I said, this is absolutely ridiculous, guys. Like we already know some of the best ways to combat being unhealthy and sick is put the right foods inside your body, drink lots of water, get exercise, be active, get some sunshine. And what do they do? And, and be around people. Right. To you know, one of the best ways that you can avoid getting sick is by being out in the world and exposing your body, your brain, your mind, everything to other people, to other circumstances, right? Um, back in the 90s, they were talking about how Japanese kids were getting sicker at greater rates when they went off to college because of the fact that they had lived in such sterile environments growing up, their bodies had not gotten used to the germs and the bacteria that were in the world. And so their immune systems were terribly underdeveloped. Um, and so they'd start getting sick as soon as they went out in the real world where germs, bacteria, viruses are. Well, our bodies need virus, viruses and bacteria. That's inherent how we actually became humans in the first place. But the fact is that when I saw this happening, I was vehemently against everything. And I, I went to a park. I remember it was like May of 2020 and they had yellow tape around all the parks and they'd already shut down the schools, right? So the kids can't even go to school and see their friends. Now they're sitting on computers learning all day long, which is also terrible for their brains, terrible for their posture, terrible for everything. There's no social interaction, which we also know is really good for your mental health. And all of these things were happening. And I, I, I'm very clear that it came out. I said, this is a bunch of bullshit, guys. The, the schools are shut down. The playgrounds are shut down. The forest was shut down. Get this. I live not too far from a forest, and so I will go out there and we'll go shooting from time to time. And um, they had signs all over the forest saying, you know, stay away. You might get sick. Like there was some sort of alien invasion, and there's these weird particles that are going to cause death and destruction. And the fact is none of that ever happened. And we knew it wasn't going to happen. Like, well, several of us knew this was never going to happen. It was never going to be the doom and gloom that they peddled. But we also knew that, and I said, look, they're shutting down schools. They're shutting down playgrounds. They're taking away any ability for us to um, congregate and be with our friends. You know, this is draconian. This is very much a draconian effort, and they should not be allowed to do this. And I was very outspoken about that. My uh, Facebook account disappeared. My Twitter account got shut down for a while. My Instagram account got shut down. Um, and I'd started getting notices on LinkedIn as well. If I ever brought anything up, I'd start getting notices on LinkedIn. This post goes against our policies, blah, blah, blah. And it happened to the, so much to the point that I literally lost my entire Facebook and Instagram account for 
a while. My Facebook account never came back. Eventually, I got my Instagram handle back. Um, and it, it, but it took two years. So during that entire time, I and I up until that point, I was actually spending money on Facebook ads. We were running ads. Um, my business managers got shut down. My business accounts got shut down. I could no longer advertise on the platforms. And we're looking at this and saying this is now, again, me as a um, you know patriotic First Amendment, Second Amendment loving guy, like this is absolute BS. I feel like I'm living through 1984 right now. I feel like George Orwell and um, has come to life and said, I told you this would happen. And it was. And we were watching it happen. We were watching the public media, right? All the TV shows, they're all saying the exact same thing. The talking heads were all saying the same thing. Then we were seeing social media banning anybody that had a dissenting opinion. And so this was literally an Orwellian future we were watching unfold right before our eyes. And what I was telling people is you guys need to go read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, and you need to go read George Orwell's 1984. And if you just read those two books right there, right there, that would have described everything we saw, right? And one of the things that happened in, in 1984 in the book was one day, I can't remember his name, it wasn't Watson, but anyway, the, the main character, he wakes up one day, and the narrative from the day before of who they were fighting against, all of a sudden, these guys were our allies, and these guys were our enemies, Right? And it switched overnight. And we yeah. literally watched that happen with COVID. So I that was also when I realized we don't live in a free society. We don't live in a free country at all. And these companies, of course, they're not owned by the government. And the First Amendment protects you from the government. But there was such collusion between big tech and big government and pharmaceutical companies and the media companies that it's hard to separate them out. And now we're seeing the fallout of this. We're seeing the companies have, there's been leaked documents that Twitter and Facebook and all of these companies colluded with the government. Um, you have the pharmaceutical companies spending 80% of the advertising budget on certain uh, nighttime segments for uh, on the media. So pharmaceutical is buying the airtime. The big pharma companies are spending billions of dollars lobbying with uh, politicians all around the world. Yeah, we're seeing the collusion happening. So we're absolutely seeing the erosion of, in the U.S., our Constitution. I mean, the Magna Carta originally, you know, talking about this in the 1600s. And you know, we're seeing all these different things happening. And it's playing out very similar to how it has throughout history, which is if you can control the narrative, you can control the people. And if you can disarm the people, then you can 100% control everything you want, Right. And that's the part that scares me, right? All they have to do is that, and that, that's why the, there is the freedom of speech, the freedom of press. There's the freedom of all these things. That's why that was written into our constitution. They said, number one, you should be allowed to say what you want, do what you want. Number two, you should be allowed to defend that, right? That's the second amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, right? Like that's exactly why these guys wrote it because they live through a tyrannical government that we're kind of seeing come back to life. And it's, it's scary to watch it happen. I guess a, lot, uh, a question that a lot of people are asking themselves right now is, is there an agenda behind this or was this simply an overreaction of a, a government that has been for a long time, um, how do you say, well, overreacting to a lot of things, I guess. Yeah. Um, but this is just, an accident that happened or is there a plan behind it? What, what's your opinion on this? Uh, I, I simply believe there's a plan behind this. Um, you know, the politicians that we see in power are not the ones that are in power, right? They're not the ones that are pulling the strings. They're not the ones that they are just the recipients of a whole bunch of money and bought and paid for media and votes. Right. So the, the, the long-term goal of any tyrannical government or dictator is complete and total authoritarian control that is unable to be uh, what's the right word I'm looking for here, but no one can actually go up against them. Right. So the mm -hmm. unmitigated power and the hard part for people to wrap their minds around with this. And it's really hard for me to think about this too, because here I am a, a dad, a husband, you know, father running a business. I want to do my own thing. I just, I just want to be left alone so I can go do my own thing. And a lot of us as humans, we think other people think the same way we do. 
The mm. problem is there are these people that are sociopaths and psychopaths, and we cannot put ourselves in their position to think the way that they think. Because for some of these people, the only thing that really drives them is total control over everything. And so if you were able to put that lens on and you were literally able to think through the fact that I want to be in complete control because I'm in power right now, but I need to make sure my power is never usurped. I want to make sure that no one ever um, challenges my position. Well, how do I do that? I eradicate the enemies. I eradicate the enemies even before they're around. I take out all opposition. I do whatever I can to make sure I constantly stay in power. And we can watch that throughout history, right? Hitler was one of those guys. Hitler made sure. And if you look at what Hitler did, what did he do? He controlled the media. He was disarming the populace. He was lying to people. He was using propaganda all over the place. Uh, Mussolini, another one, Stalin, another one. You know, we can go way back in time. You can look at, you know, the Roman empires and you, you can see this happen over and over and over again. And, and yet for some reason, we keep thinking that we're different. We keep thinking, oh, we're more evolved as a society and we'd never let that happen. The fact is, it's true. Like there will always be these people that total and complete control and domination because they think they're right. Right. And they want to force everybody else to do it their way. So. It, again, it's it's a it's a leap for a lot of people because I didn't believe this stuff. I didn't think that they would go so far as shutting this. I didn't think that every American would just fall in line and start giving up their guns and giving up their rights and saying, yeah, you, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger said, fuck your freedoms. Like, come on, dude. You literally came to this country because of the freedoms that it offered you and the opportunities it offered you. And you would not have had those opportunities had you not had a constitution and a way of life over here that would have allowed you because guess what? They weren't letting you do that in Austria, right? You didn't have those opportunities in Austria. You didn't have those opportunities anywhere else in the world, but you come over here and now all of a sudden you're against the same freedoms that empowered you and enabled you to get where you are. That's the thing that I never saw happening. But once you realize what it was and what was happening, you realize how gullible most people are and how the minds can be so easily changed when you get everybody saying the same thing. You have all the media bought and paid for. You have all the talking heads bought and paid for. And now you're censoring all the dissenting views. Now, could I could you go back and say, oh, it was just mass hysteria and that's what led us to this? You could if you said, all right, the mass hysteria happened, but we're also going to continue doing things the right way. Like if there are FDA regulations around how drugs and vaccines get approved, we should probably do that. But we didn't. Or how come this vaccine was already in the works and ready to go before the the pandemic happened? Well, that's kind of weird, right? It's very, very fortuitous. And if we didn't censor every dissenting opinion, then maybe we could start to see this. If we didn't take our former president and do everything we can to impeach him and impeach him and make sure he could never have a voice and deplatform him. And, you know, the, the one guy that actually had a really good platform to speak out against these people. And then everybody else who has been either quieted, you know, you, you see people getting silenced. You see people randomly dying. You know, it's like it's hard to call these things conspiracy theories anymore. And I was that guy that was like, oh, that's a conspiracy theorist. That, that, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. But you start seeing something happen over and over and over again. It's like it's not really it, you just have to look right. You just have to kind of open your eyes and look around to see that, man, there's so many weird things that are happening. These can't all be coincidences, right? Mm. And it gets to be too much for most people to even take in. It, it is. It's a lot for people to take in, especially when people are just like me, where they're like, hey, I really just want to put food on the table. I want to have a good life. I want to go enjoy my time with my kids. And I want to make money running my business. Um, the reason I became such an advocate for, you know, the liberty movement, free speech, and trying to do as much as I could was the government shut down my businesses. They literally took away my ability to make money. Um, sure. And then they didn't, I had a whole bunch of contractors. So it wasn't like I was getting paid a whole bunch of money just to keep employees around. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and to me, that was about as un-American as it could possibly be. So it, it do, really do made me think, kind of wake up to everything else. Yeah. Do you think businesses uh, have to be more outspoken about freedom and liberty and be more active in defending it because i'm pretty sure 
every business is aware that freedom is essential for running their business. But I was really disappointed in those COVID years to see that businesses especially were not really standing up and doing anything, even though they were the ones that were at the effect of these lockdowns the most. And do you think it's, I mean, as a business, you also kind of follow the market, what you serve the people, so to speak. Do you think society has to handle this? We have, people have to. Here's, here's the thing that we learned, problem. right? It's most businesses, especially the big ones, the public companies, they are going to follow the general consensus of the people. And if the general consensus of the people is fear and trepidation because the media has told them to be afraid, they'll do that, right? Because they have an obligation to their shareholders. That's what they're going to say all the time. We have an obligation to our shareholders to run this business in the most profitable way we can. Personally, I think that's the worst excuse for doing things. And it should open companies' eyes to the idea that they should have values and standards that they will lean on and uphold. And we've seen them do this in so many other ways. Diversity and inclusion, another one. As far as I'm concerned, diversity and inclusion is a racist term. Um, and it's a way to say that we're doing the right thing when in reality, you know, if you're saying we have to hire this person because we need to give this ethnicity, this culture a chance, what you're essentially saying is we don't think you can do it on your own, right? And I think that's a bunch of BS. I think that's about as racist and prejudiced as it can be. But they'll put this lens on and they'll say, well, this is what everybody wants. So this is what we're going to do because this is the way it should be. No, you should do things based off of principles. And if you are a small business owner, if you are an entrepreneur and you do not have principles or you lack the fortitude to stand behind those principles when they are pressured, then you're just another one of those people that's a cog in the wheel and you can't complain when things turn out badly. Um, give you an example. I had somebody who was a dear friend of mine came to me and she said, I have the ability to start manufacturing masks. All I need is for you to partner with me and bring a couple of investors and we'll do this. And I had to say, no, so I, I don't believe in this. I will not help with perpetuating this, even if it's going to make us money. Um, I had a number of people that actually came and said, Oh, well, we, we can get these, um, these kits and we can get these, um, you know, the, the, the COVID swabs and no, no, I, I can't do that. I don't care if you're not going to like me now again, I don't care. And I had people literally tell me this, this is what kind of threw me over the edge with this whole thing. Um, there's a Twitter fight because there was a guy here in Washington state who was a barber who said, no, it's my business. If people want to come and get their haircut, they can come and get their haircut. I'm going to stay open. It's up to them. They can come. I'm here. If they don't want to come or they think it's unsafe, they don't have to come. Guess what? This barber had a line around the block for people that wanted to come in and get their hair cut and get their beards trimmed and support him. And what did the government do? They came in and shut it down. They locked up his doors. They said, you can't do this. This is illegal. You're not allowed to put this guy out of business. This guy's in his 70 years old. This is what he's been doing his whole life. It's not like he has a retirement plan. His job is he's a barber and people love this guy. And there was a news special about this. And I said, good for him. And I will drive an hour and a half to go get my haircut from him if he opens back up. And these people literally got into fights on Twitter. And somebody said, I wish that people like you had to wear a badge on your chest so that people like me knew that where you stood and to stay away from you. And the and, and I, I come from a Jewish um, descent. So something like that is like, that's really messed up. You know that we've done this throughout history and it's never a good thing for people right it, it was and even so, weirder living through that in germany uh, i could imagine exactly what you just described and it was so strange to see the same rhetoric and this yeah. idea that you have to wear a badge and like um how do you call it like something get your, your covid arm. passports and put something on your arm yeah it, it was really weird yeah but I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people about you know the general state of society and the world and the economy and most people i talk to they are very pessimistic they think it, it's going to get worse i personally see also a lot of good things for example um well, elon musk buying twitter mm -hmm. and having a lot of success with it and other social media platforms uh, are 
spring up. There are a lot more. There's a lot more uh, debate going on on social media today than maybe a few years ago about political topics, or not just the mainstream political topics, but really um, all the topics now. And so I'm personally really optimistic because um, I've been watching everything for quite some time now, and this is the first time where I feel that there is really a shift happening. So I'm quite optimistic. Can you share my optimism? Do you think we are now slowly headed in a better direction, in a good direction? Or do you say, no, this is just, um, we're just having a break from the really bad stuff. And in this, this winter is really going back to lockdowns and whatever is going to come. Oh, I, I don't think we'll ever go to lockdowns again. I, I think that there's been enough people that have been woken up to this that there will be enough resistance to that, that idea. However, I do think that people are prone to fear. If, if people would just turn off their TV, like literally take yeah. Facebook off your phone, Instagram off your phone, don't follow social media and don't watch the news. If you could just do those things, don't listen to the news on the radio or podcast, right? Don't listen to or watch the narrative. You would have never even known there was something happening, right? It would have been a cold and flu season again. And we've come through those thousands of times before, right? So, you know, the media has such sway on people's opinions and minds that I can't say it's ever going to go away. But I can say I, I am seeing, you know, the, the, the chinks in their armor right now where people are coming out and saying we were wrong and we shouldn't have done that. We need more people like that. And we need more people to like them, to follow them, to share those stories, to say, yes, I believe in this person because they stand for the principles that I stand for. And this isn't to say, and I hope no one under, no one takes this the wrong way. This isn't to say that people didn't get sick and died, right? We never would say that. That did happen. It didn't happen as much as they ever said it was going to. Uh, mental health issues because of lockdowns and isolation was a bigger issue as a result of that. And now we're seeing the fallout of people getting myocarditis at a rate that was unprecedented long before they ever got a vaccine. All these are bad things that have happened as a result of it. But I don't want to diminish the fact that there were people that, that did die. And if you spin that up enough, man, everyone's going to be afraid again. And so what it's going to take is people being willing to take off the blinders and actually look around and say, okay, is this really happening? Uh, give you another good example of one of the things that it, it was mainstream news for like a minute and then it disappeared immediately after that. Um, the HMS Mercy, I think it was a naval hospital ship came into the New York Harbor early in the COVID crisis saying, okay, because the hospitals are going to be overrun, we're going to bring the Navy in and we're going to bring in a few hundred extra beds to make sure we can take care of this. Within a week, they were gone because they didn't have anybody come in. Right. And then you have all these tent the hospital story, setups yeah. and yeah. And, and so people need to be willing to take off the blinders and the leaders need to be willing to live on principle, not just live on the handouts that they're getting from the media, the pharmaceutical companies, the tech industry, whoever the next billionaire is, it's going to pad their pockets. They need to be willing to say, no, I actually stand on principles. I don't stand on your money and do whatever you say. But throughout history, we've also seen that politicians are bought and paid for. Right. That's why they're in that job. Some of them, they go into it initially saying, I want to make the world a better place. Eventually, they all end up in the same place. Right. Bought and paid for. And I, I would like to say that we won't see that happening. But what I will say is that any revolution you've seen happen throughout history. Right. Whether it was the French Revolution or here in the Americas, the American Revolution you see uh, down in Mexico. It's not 95 percent of the population being like, yes, we need to fight against these people. It's like 10 percent. Right. And those 10 percent can carry the entire vote eventually, but they have to be seen and heard and their battle cry has to get loud enough. So what I would say is that I'm optimistic that the numbers are growing daily of people that say, no, we want our independence, not as a country necessarily anymore, but as an individual. And hopefully enough of those people can rally the rest and get a big enough voice to convince everybody else that having your own personal sovereignty is more important than just for the good of everyone, you know, for the, the public good, because mm -hmm. for the public good is how socialism and communism happens, which there's no such thing as true socialism or communism because there's always a dictator in charge. 
And no one really wants that, even though they believe that that's the ideal is that everybody's equal and we don't have to worry. It never happens because humans aren't wired that way. Um, so I would say that using this term for the public good or for the benefit of the greater good or whatever, that's that's rhetoric. And every time you hear that, you should say, OK, well, for the greater good or just for your your bottom line. Yeah, well, I think you definitely are uh, a good example for leading with example. And I guess thank you for that. And not just um, thank you for your service in the military, but also thank you for your service as someone that fights for freedom and against censorship. Because I know I've seen it in this time. It is dangerous to stand up uh, for freedom of speech. You said you lost a lot of money and I saw so many people losing their bank accounts and um, just their entire career basically over having a different opinion about the subject. Yep. And that's really scary. And so, well, thank you for doing it. And I hope more people stand up. And like I said, I'm optimistic. I think uh, we will do it. We will, I think we just will do it because we don't have a, another choice as so really an alternative to not living free, I think. And yeah. Uh, is there anything else um, we haven't covered so far? No, Leon, this has been great. I really appreciate it. appreciate being here and, uh, and having this conversation with you. Hopefully we'll yeah. get people watching this and thinking, thinking for themselves. Really, that's all I want. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And maybe... We'll see you again. That sounds good. All right. Thanks, Leon. I appreciate it.